Hello, it's me, Rich Terry. Welcome to another Rahalastava this week with Joe Caulfield. Don't forget about our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash rkherring. You can see snooker on Mondays and Tuesdays. Rahalastava recorded live on Wednesdays, way ahead of when it comes out. And Thursday, it's Ali and Herring's Twitch of Fun. Hello, everyone. It's me, Ali from Ali and Herring's Twitch of Fun. Why not tune in? It's available as a podcast. Where you get your podcast and on YouTube. Thanks for watching and listening, everyone. All right, Ali, start. I'm trying to do a serious introduction here. Get out of the way. Um, we're also in the midst of a Kickstarter. If you're listening to it and watching this as it goes out, uh, we have a long way to go. We're finishing on Friday. It's for stone clearing, which also occasionally crops up on twitch.tv slash rkherring. And uh, we've just added a couple of new levels, which include a I'm winking at it t-shirt from Ali Sloper. You need me, Richard. I can't get you out of this hole. Shut up, Ali. I'm trying to do this serious thing. And also, you can you can just get that on its own without any of the stone clearing gubbings or just add £20 to whichever level you're on and that can get sent to you. If you donate £150, which is a lot, I know, you'll get everything plus the t-shirt, Ali t-shirt, plus a video message personalised from me to you. You can use it for whatever you want. Me slagging off a friend, happy birthdays or just calling you a fucking idiot. Whatever you like, my friends. And remember, you can still sponsor an episode of Stone Clearing as well, and get all of that extra stuff as well. Anyway, that's on rahalastupa.co.uk slash kickstarter. Please support us. All the money we raise will be used to make more online content. Please, if you can afford to do so, give us some money. If you can't afford to do so, please just keep enjoying all of this stuff for free. It's free for that reason. Let the rich pay. Let those who can't pay enjoy for free. This is how everything should be, my fine friends. Let's sit back, relax, and enjoy Rahalastupa with the wonderful Joe Caulfield. Hello! Please welcome a man who's back in the big time. It's Richard Herring. Hello! It's me, Richard Herring, from BBC Two's Comedians Home Alone. You've all seen me on it. It was good. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Lockdown Slowly Terminating Podcast. Uh, not for comedians, obviously. We'll be fucking locked up in... Uh, houses for a good six months yet at least uh but uh i was hanging around with all the people on twitter making uh the rishi sunak joke about eat out to help out and all of them were doing the same joke it was brilliant and all of the people who do that they call it rahalastaba so hopefully that'll catch on um what's been going on so yeah i've been back on the i've been back on the telly the week we recorded this um and there's some more tv coming up i'm not allowed to talk about it. it's very exciting i'm back in a big time the Minute I was on BBC Two this week, the phone was lighting up. Does anyone know how to turn the torch off on the phone? I can't do it. I'm an old man, both in terms of that joke and doing that joke. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's uh, very exciting. Snoop, me, me one versus me two snooker uh, on the table. So I expect there'll be, you know, there's usually a, a few hundred people watching this. I expect it will be half a million today. Uh, it's currently on 132, but let's not worry about that. It will, it'll be, it will bump up due to my immense fame um and i'm turning 53 this weekend this is the last rohelis i will do as a 52 year old man um so I'm, it's i'm only seven years from oh shit i'm 60 i've got to decide on the name i think it's probably gonna be oh shit i'm 60 so it's you know i'm working is i'm doing one at edinburgh show every 10 years now that's my my plan which might be the next time edinburgh's back on anyway uh, and uh thanks to everyone for watching on this remember you can subscribe on twitch 
Uh, if you're with Amazon Prime, you can subscribe for no cost to yourself by linking your accounts. There are various videos to help you explain that. Um, you can become a monthly badger at gofasterstripe.com slash badges and get all sorts of extras, uh, including a membership pack and all sorts of things. And you can buy books and DVDs at gofasterstripe.com if you want to help us out. Um, I'm also, tomorrow, if you're watching this live, uh, I'm planning on probably 7.30 or 8 doing a new double act where I do a double act with uh, my terrifying ventriloquist dummy, Ali. Uh, here he is. <laughs> Hello there, it's me, I, Ali. I've not practiced it. We're not gonna. I'm not gonna prepare anything. I'm just gonna do all my practice live on Twitch until I become a fantastic ventriloquist. Look, you're another thucker. You're another thucker, Richard. Shut up, Ali. You're spoiling everything. And then I'm gonna release that as an audio podcast because I think there's not enough ventriloquism in audio format, and that is my strong belief. Anyway, look, we're gonna crack on. I don't think I've got anything else to talk to you about. I went to the zoo. It was great. Um, my son nearly ran into the road. It was terrific. Uh, that was that was the that was the fun part of it. Uh, we haven't killed him yet. We've still got him so far, as as we speak. He's still alive. So far. we're doing a great job. My guest this week is probably best known for her role as the cloakroom attendant <laughs> in Get Real. That's why we're all here watching tonight to see the cloakroom attendant from Get Real, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Joe Caulfield. Here she is. <laughs> She's there. Hello. Love to see you. Hello. Wow. That is such a, of all the things you're going to say. And I remember it really clearly because I had one line and I got, yes. it, I got it wrong. <laughs> and, I, and I remember the line because it was, uh, the guy came up and it was, and I had to go in a sarcastic way, um, a leather jacket with a tie. But I went, a tie with a leather jacket? And the writer went, no, 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 it's the other way around. I still can't work, remember which way around it was, because either way I thought, it doesn't, you know, doesn't make it funnier or less funny, but he was very sure. <laughs> and I only had was, it, was it a studio sitcom or was it? Uh, yeah, studio sitcom. Studio, yeah. so do you had to stop the recording in front of the audience yeah. and do it again? Yeah, oh, and this dear. person with one line has fucked up a one line. Yeah, no, I felt yeah. awful, yeah. It was Britain's answer to Friends. Yeah, and some of the story, or, or no, actually Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Was yeah, it? and some of the storylines I believe had actually been <laughs> in Seinfeld. <laughs> yes, that is a very good answer. That's the kind of answer you want when you're doing an answer to an American show. <laughs> Just the same same answer to the same question. So look, it's love, lovely to have you on. Um, there's a lot of stuff to talk to you about. Yeah, I mean, no. We it, it, looking at you, it seems impossible to believe it. But you've been doing stand up for quite a, since the last century, Quarter the last millennium. Century, let's say yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's incredible. And 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 I think what I what I hadn't even fully appreciated. I know you do lots of shows, but you've more or less done a show in Edinburgh nearly every year since the beginning of this century. So, two thousand and one, I think maybe was your first. Uh, yeah, I remember. I do it by rooms. That's how okay. I remember. Because <laughs> I remember each of the rooms, and I think I stopped counting twelve because then right. I repeated rooms. So when I got to the stand venues, when I realised, oh, this is how you can make money uh, out of it, um, that then I did the several rooms again, and so I've really, yeah, I don't know now. Well, it seemed to me looking at your, I, th I think you might have done seventeen. Wow. Fringe shows. Yeah, wow. Your Wikipedia page lists 16, but I think you did one in 2019 that isn't, yes, I that did. isn't listed there. So it's nearly every year since mm. 2001, which is quite, there aren't many people. People always say to me, oh, you've done, you know, you must be, you've done the record, but I haven't. There are other people who've done pretty much every year. 
but that's uh, that's quite astonishing to have done that many shows. But as you and- know, I do think the more you do it, the more you know how to put together a show. And the more, like when people are going, oh, my show's really, really going to be ready for 2021. I'm still going, no, I'll still sort of start it in May, you know, yeah. <laughs> next year. Because <laughs> if I do it before that, it's just not got that rush of panic you know, and I think my audience can feel that in the jokes and they enjoy yeah. that energy of going, wow, she really did just fucking chug it together. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm the same because I usually tour mine till, um, you know, May or June. And then, I, then as minute I finish the tour, I start work on the new one. I think it is two months is enough time to. Yeah, as long as you're, yeah, to, it is. If you're the sort of person who go, I'm going to put in previews and then I just have to stay this stuff. Yeah. There's no being nice to yourself or going, well, I do a bit. No, you have to just get it out there. And, and then, like, it always amazes me what I thought would be the show in May to what then becomes the show. And then sometimes that stuff you thought was the show, maybe two years later you go, oh, actually, I could do that now because I know what I did wrong right. before. Yeah. 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 Um, and were you planning on was that was there a plan to do this year's fringe? Was that, that yes? Was, you were you were working yeah, on a yeah, show. I, this I, year? I had, I had or you weren't. You weren't. <laughs> I'd start. I'd almost start early this year. Right. And so when we went into lockdown, I was very half-heartedly trying out new stuff. Going, please let it be cancelled. Please, I, I was really, you know, like going to school, going, oh, let it be a snow day, and we've all got to go home um, because I, I kind of felt like a did want a break, although every time I do it, then I really enjoy it. So, And I have new material that I'm excited about. Yeah. So then I want to have that feeling again. Yeah. And you live in Edinburgh, so you don't have to worry about the uh, accommodation costs. I'm at home for a month, yeah. But yeah. that's happening anyway, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I put down a deposit on the on my flat, and then they said to me, they rang me up, and this was a, it was a little bit before the lockdown happened. And they, then they got back and said, oh, look, would you like, if we'll give you 10% off if you pay everything up front. So we paid everything up front. Mm. And then the next day I went, oh, there is that virus coming. I wonder if that's going to affect things. And then they, they, they agreed that they should pay the money back, but they don't have any money to pay me back. So have they spent the money? And they went, well, we put it down on a holiday because it's going to be cheaper if we paid everything up front. So Well, it's a letter. It's actually a letter agency right. who obviously are, are then are screwed, aren't they? They're going to go out of business. So that's that's... Yeah. Five grand five grand for ten nights it was down the toilet. There we go. I worked bring my family. the other day that I didn't even know existed, and it is just festivals, is what they specialise in. And I was like, wow, well, you're gonna go bust, aren't you? But it was sort of festivals all over the world, you know. But. Luckily they did prepare for this by charging six months rent for a month for the last twenty years yeah. though. So they should be okay. They should be well prepared. They're like Joe's from the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Someone said there'll be one bad year. Yeah. All you have to do is charge six years, That's six it. months yeah. rent for every month yeah. for, for 15 years and we should be fine. Um, so let's go back to the beginning of Joe Caulfield oh. um, many years ago. Uh, you were born in Wales mm-hmm. to Irish parents. Then you moved to London when you were a teenager. Mm-hmm. And now you live in Scotland. So you, you've done, you've, you've ticked every box of the British Isles. Um, and you, I've seen a clip of you on Facebook playing drums in a rockabilly band. Yeah. Happy days. Yeah. So, so when you were 17, uh, I was, uh, well, I think I was about 20 then. Right. Um, but that was what, but I did move to London when I was 17 Okay. in a very, um, <laughs> you know, when you go, God, there was just no parental control at all. I, I just thought I didn't really, I did like school. And then I went, that's enough. 
isn't it? That's enough. And so I came to London and uh, I think, well, I went on holiday first with some friends on a bus. This is how long ago it was. You got a bus all the way to Greece. And nice. it took three days and three days back as your tan faded. And But I just stayed in. I went to stay with my sister and I got a job in a hotel. So I, I kind of thought, oh, I'm sorted because the job also had accommodation in a hostel. So I was like, well, right. I'm set for life. Um, and I can go out to loads of rockabilly gigs and there's a much bigger scene here. And uh, and so then I was in the band, and my mate who who sent me that clip because I had no idea there was anything on tape, and he said he's got several videos, but he's getting wow. Them. So I it was so it was really was like looking at another person. I was like, oh my, because I in my head I couldn't really play or do it, and I was like, oh my god, I am actually playing. I am. You were playing. good, and I'm in time, and I'm very enthusiastic. And- <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought very on brand when it comes yeah. to solo. I go, let's pop. You know, I was like, oh, it's really unoriginal now. Hack as a rock to do that. But no, it was kind of thrilling and a kind of, oh, look at you doing that. That's it. Like, yeah. Person. Yeah. And you were stay living in squats in, in London. Yeah, this was it was the eighties. Well, I was in this hostel where because I was a breakfast waitress, and then I quickly realised that that meant you had to get up at half past five in the morning. So that curtailed nightlife. Right. So uh, I went out, left that job, but so then I didn't have anywhere to live. And a friend of mine, her sister was in a squat, and she was staying there. So she said they sort of took me in because there wasn't a room in the squat. But a lot of people lived in them then. They were legal squats. Yeah. This was in Kilburn right. Park, lovely big Victorian houses. And you paid uh, your uh, electricity, you paid and gas. So you paid that, but you didn't pay rent. And you could do what you liked with them until whoever owned it decided they wanted to do something with it or it was knocked down. But everybody in the house, it was very, it was very sort of young onesie. It was people I'd never met like before. They were always marching about something. And one of them worked in Neil's yard and made wholemeal bread, which I thought was so hippie-ish. And I was suspicious of her. And um, my friend, her family were originally from South Africa. Her dad, and imagine how difficult this was. Her dad was black and her mum was white. And they had got together at university in South Africa. Wow. So an illegal relationship, basically. So then they'd come over here. So her, obviously my mate and her sister were very, very into, we did a lot of freeing Nelson Mandela marches. And they were very sort of black consciousness. And, and I do remember once and. They had brown sugar, and I thought, oh, is that because of the race thing? Like, you don't want to ask for white sugar. It's like it was all a minefield. But it, yeah. there was two men were jugglers, and you were like, what the hell? What the fuck is that, being a juggler? Um, and I didn't have a room. I just had a bit of corridor <laughs> that I was my – and I do remember it was snowing, It was, and they gave me their coats. And, you know, and you go, this is really like something from a terrible – Dickens film of buying <laughs> their coats, but uh, but it was very at the same time it was a very sort of happy jolly time. Yeah, it's weird. Squats were that were a thing in the eighties. I, I moved to London right at the end of the eighties, and I, there were people. In, I wasn't in a squat, but there were people in squats. And then that sort of just, I mean, there are squatters, I suppose, occasionally, but it sort of disappeared as a as a lifestyle choice in the, in the way it was in the eighties. <laughs> anyway, I yeah. think in the eighties was it's only now you go what well, sort of a time of. Um, you know, sort of everybody <laughs> was on the dole and working and being creative at the same time. It was just seemed like there was a lot of, um, you know, and it sounds terrible, school, but Margaret Thatcher, she was terrible. Go, yeah, but actually, 
there was a lot more freedom, I think, than there is now for young people. Well, it was possible to come to London. Yeah, it was possible to be, be in London. Yeah, yeah, they had no yeah. money. London was cheap, really cheap. Yeah. yeah. And you were on, I, I heard on one of the things I was listening to, you were, you were on the Enterprise Allowance, which I was as well. I, I went on the Enterprise Allowance as a comedian. You went on to run a vintage clothes yes. store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was the thing, if you put down a certain amount of money, Thousand they pounds. would... Thousand pounds to put in, and then they would give you the dole, basically a bit more that every every week. And even if you earned money, you would you didn't have to stop getting the the money from the government, the assistance from the government. It was quite a lot of comedians did it, I think. Um, yeah. as to, to be comedians, I remember. Yes, I remember Jeremy Hardy saying that he did it. Yeah, so I, I yeah, so I did it to uh, open a vintage clothes shop in Camberwell right. with a friend. And yeah, and I think and you got the housing benefit as well. That was a great. Thing. Yes, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, and then that, then I realised that I was working in a shop and I was really bored. <laughs> so I stopped that. You know, it was just a succession of, oh, try this. Oh, that's shit. Oh, try this. Oh, no, you don't want to be doing that. So then I sort of, I started waitressing again when I was about 25. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> really slow developer to kind of go, oh, you need to have some sort of plan in life. I had no idea, you know. Yeah, I mean, twenty five's not. I mean, it's it's okay to doss around till you're twenty five. I think. Yeah, well, yeah, because I did it till I was about twenty eight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise everyone was younger than me, and I, I felt sort of cheated by friends who I was waitressing with. So you'd you'd waitress, and it would be very high pressure. It was in the West End, and um, but you could earn quite a lot of money on tips, and then you'd go out every night and spend it. And I didn't realise that other people at the same time were going to university and doing courses and stuff, and then they all went off and got jobs. So I like. Nobody told me, you know. <laughs> you all had plans. I thought we were all in this happy, you know, just make a mess of our lives together thing. <laughs> so how did you make the switch from wage sync to, to stand-up? I did because I didn't really know. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew. I, th- I thought I wanted to do something funny. Um, but I didn't really I didn't really know stand-up was a thing uh, in terms of comedy clubs. I didn't go to comedy sure. clubs. But then I went to drama school for a year. Uh, I did a postgraduate course, even though I wasn't a graduate. Um, and I was, think it was the last year that you could get a grant. So I got a grant for one year. So I feel I'm owed three years more grant money. And uh, it was a terrible drama school. Uh, East 15. So okay, now I've heard of Loughton. Um, I think the only fam- the famous people there who went there are Ruby Wax. Okay. Uh, Harry um, Harry Corbett, um, okay. yeah, okay, and Damon uh, from Blur. Damon, what a year that was! The, those three were together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for all the time. <laughs> so it was terrible in that. Uh, yeah, it was one of those places. I think it was. It, it was all method. So the younger people, they did terrible things like they would break them down. That was all their theory. And they would take them to this place in Yorkshire and they made them play Nazis and Jews. But you had to do it for like two weeks, you know, hunt each other. And, you know, but postgraduate, because we were older, we didn't have to do that sort of thing. Right. Or we would go, no, I'm not doing it. Although there was, when we were doing Chekhov, there was a man who's such a lovely man. And he, he had worked in GCHQ all his life, and then he'd retired, and he wanted to be an actor. So he was 60-something, but he was a big drinker. And when we did Chekhov, he went method, and all he ate was bulbs of garlic and drank vodka. And he died. 
I was gonna say that's I know it's I always think but he died he really died doing what he loved he really did he sort of came out in posture from the garlic because it apparently yeah and then he died I mean that's really method for Chekhov isn't it that is really you know that's properly I'm going to do Chekhov I can't act this until I've actually died myself of of poverty died in winter and must not notice and just let it go (laughs) Oh my goodness! And so you did that, and then you oh, thought, "Well, I don't want where, to." Do. Um, it was an exercise. I think it was the voice. Yeah. One of the voice coaches said, "As an exercise, think of um, a stand-up comedy routine." Right. Um, and a couple of people did it each week, and that was the first thing I thought. Well, I'm taking this very seriously, so I was really working out what my routine was. Whereas other people were just standing up and saying stuff, and I was going, "Oh, this is right. rubbish." And so I thought about my stories, and then when I did it, I knew it was good compared to everybody else because nobody else had given it any thought at all sure. um and so that and I thought right I'm going to find out where you do this and how you do it and I went to the comedy cafe and they had the new act night somebody else had told me about it and so I went and saw what it was and then the next uh month or something I still gave myself a lot of time to come up with my five minutes and then I went and did it there right for the first time yeah and I was uh, terrified um, but I think uh, I was slightly less because I'd done a bit of acting. I'd I was a bit more confident on stage than other people. So everybody was terrible, but I was the most confident of the terrible people. <laughs> you know? So I won the competition. I think that happens to a lot of people. Your first gig is great because you're full yeah, of adrenaline yeah. and you're stupid. You don't know what you should be afraid of. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I won the competition. And I remember the comics that were there that night and everything. And then you had to come back next week. And you got 25 quid, which was good. And uh, the next week, of course, I did completely different material because I didn't know right. that you could just keep doing that 10 minutes. And then that wasn't as good. But I was, it was too late. I was, I was hooked. I was already yeah. thought, no, I think this is it. Yeah. Great. Good. Well, yeah, that's, that's, and yeah, and, and then you've obviously established yourself. Uh, and you've done, you've done a lot of the, that the sort of consultant work on shows, which are, oh, yeah. generally basically means <laughs> just writing the show for the comedians, right? So, uh, if you ever see program consultants in a ti- in the as the titles spew up, yeah, that's basically the people writing the jokes for the stars, so that you don't think they're having their lines written for them. But you've 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 written for quite a lot of well, quite a variety of people, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. I don't know if they're all true. Yeah. Uh, Graham Norton, which I knew yeah. you worked on, you worked on so Graham that, Norton. Yeah. Uh, Joan Rivers, which yeah. was very exciting. Anne Robinson. Yeah. So did you write for The, the Weakest Link? No, I wrote for, oh, uh, was it called What's the Problem? Marcus oh, yes. did it as well. Okay, yeah. He yeah. was a, one of the presenters. And so I was to write jokes for her. And she was, um, she was I, I sort of liked in a weird way because she's so rude to people. <laughs> yeah. I remember, and but in an odd way where you go, I don't even know what that means. Like we were in the room together and I stood up and she went, oh, you're really tall. She goes, you're like the newsreader, Peter Sissons. You're really tall and dull. So, <laughs> I don't know why you have to slag Peter off as well as me. <laughs> Two for the price of one. And I think at the time, um, like, I wasn't even 40, but she kept talking about us menopausal women. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she, But she just had a lot of surgery, so she did a lot of showing us her surgery, which obviously I liked immensely, being able to look at somebody really close up. 
Um, yeah. And she was kind of one of those people, a bit like Ruby Wax. Like she's just, she's just so direct, but um, she can take it as well. Like you could go right. to her. Um, and then I learned the things she says. She goes, "You have to uh, Annie everything," which basically means you have to put pauses. Seem to me in all the places you have to put commas in the places that stop it being a joke. It's <laughs> what it seemed like. Well, I always thought that about it. In, in the weeks like I always thought she's pretty poor. She's been given these lines and she's not coming up with them. She's obviously been given them and she's pretty poor at delivering them. I'd be quite annoyed if I was writing for her because I think, mm. you know, I, you'd be thinking I could do, you know, I think you're putting you, <laughs> Joe Caulfield, into whatever show that was. You'd be better than yeah. Anne Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> It'd certainly be funnier than Anne Robinson. Uh, but it, it is that sort of weird... I mean, you've written for, uh, well, we should talk about Joan Rivers as well, though. that must be exciting, but Anton Deck, you've written for Denise Van Outen, have you written for? Yeah, Denise Van Outen, I can't remember how yes. I got, a, that job was interesting, it was, what was it called? It's called Something for the Weekend, and it okay. was a kind of sexy, sassy, a bit like a sort of uh, TGI Friday, but with her, and so they wanted to do the kind of games that Graham was doing in his show, Okay. Um, that were a bit, I remember we did have one called Penis Lineup. Um, uh, and it was exactly that, you know, <laughs> and things. So it was writing jokes for her, and then she. But it was a bit like she wanted to do everything. She wanted to do sketches, and she wanted to sing a song and dance because she can do all those things. But and then Melinda Messenger came on to be in the sketches, and and it was just really weird to be in an office with Denise Van Out and Melinda Messenger, and just go, "This is weird," because you're the other type of women. You don't, you know, <laughs> and slightly resentful, going, you don't need to be funny. You know, this is for my type of women. Um, but I really did like Denise Van Outen. Um, she was quite yeah. wild. She was going up drinking a lot then. She was a lot younger and stuff. So the producers are all like, oh, Denise is, you know, not come home yet, <laughs> stuff. Um, but I did like her and I thought she was a grafter and I, I liked that about her. And she had, she had a lot of style to her. Sure, yeah. You no, know, and it, for what it was, it, I'm sure younger people liked it. And they did that, you know, when they were filming it, they did that terrible thing that they do where they pick out attractive people and push unattractive people to the back of the studio, you know. And you can see the unattractive people not knowing why they're being moved. And then they see <laughs> the people being moved in their place. And then they go, oh, right, that's why. Yeah. Wow. And then they just turn that and that's now a show, isn't it? That, that, that's that, that oh, someone uh, thought, hey, why are we just doing that with the audience? We can make that a TV why show. Why just put the camera on the ugly <laughs> It was a weird time in that, I guess, you know, there weren't loads of female stand-ups in the 90s and early 2000s. There were some, but it was like the, the, the women that got onto TV to do comedy things were generally not comedians. Obviously, Joe Brown was getting on and Jenny Eclair did a bits and pieces and different shows. But there was a lot of that kind of, oh, let's find a, a you know, attractive, someone who isn't really a comedian. attractive yeah. woman and yeah. give her some lines. Yeah, Melinda Messenger, yes. is, who seems lovely, I've met her, but, yeah. you know, she's not, no. I don't think she's going to be the funniest person in the world. No. That's not what she's known for. No. <laughs> so was that frustrating to be, I mean, obviously no, it's fairly early in your no, career. Yeah. So, you... so I was just thrilled to get a writing job, you know, so uh, not at all. And it was interesting and, and sort of funny to be around it and see how it all works. So, uh, no, no, I wasn't, you know, I didn't remotely think, oh, right, that should be me, you know, especially not when I saw her, you know, come dancing down the set. I was like, oh, God, I'm fucking going to be there. Um, so, no. And then uh, Anton Deck was a football show um, and we thought of the format of the football show and 
and it was the FA Cup, but it happened to be Arsenal versus Newcastle. So they were Newcastle fans. So it was it was probably one of their first we'll go on as adults jobs. And they were just so nice. And I still love them. I was always and I think they're really good as well. I still think they have a lovely chemistry. So they were actually really nice and really fun. And uh, uh, yeah, and there wasn't much to say. And they do, if you give them a good joke, they appreciated it and they didn't mess it up. Yeah, yeah. that's good. And what about Joan Rivers then, which, who we did mention that list? What were you? Yeah, Joan was, um, she was the, early on with Graham Norton, she was on there a lot because when Graham first started, he wasn't well known. So it was difficult to get guests, you know. So if you could get a guest, then we would have them a lot. And so Jane was on a lot, and then it was his TV company wanted to do a pilot with her. So it was writing jokes for that, for the pilot. And um, and so it was me and the other writer, and we gave in a list of jokes. And then then she picked uh, a couple of my jokes, and you're like, oh, that is very thrilling. And when you're on that kind of show, like you're not meant to uh, talk to the guests and everything because you're just another person annoying them, you know. But she was the only person that I kind of went up because I had both her books um, and kind of asked her to sign them and that. And, of course, she's very good at, at being professional like that. And and it's funny, you notice, you learn things about people who are really big stars. Uh, like when, and this is when Graham got great guests, when Dolly Parton was on, I remember she, you go, God, she's a star because it was almost like you could smell her before she came in the studio. There was a smell. And then Dolly, she came in for rehearsal, which she didn't have to. She came in for rehearsal. Dolly arrived with her people. And she was so like, you know, people got overly down to earth. She has down to earth, down pat with the cameraman, with everybody just fucking loved her. And she had a little line for everybody. And then she, after the show, and it was all like, yeah, we'll have drinks, we'll have fun. No, she was gone like that. Right. <laughs> and it was funny, it was Graham said, and he said, I don't care if it's fake. She's so good at faking it. <laughs> so good at faking it that you really felt, oh, you know, she looks at you. It's like she's really looking at you, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting when someone's that famous, I think, isn't it, that they you either I, – I really am fascinated by the way that people deal with fame and some people get, oh, this is – they get famous which is what they always wanted and then they hate all yeah. the attention that they're getting. <laughs> they can't escape from it. And some people sort of play the role and are, are very happy to and good to, at to do all the stuff. But that's the way to keep your career going. You know, even if it is a cynical thing, that's the way to keep your career going. If you go – you know, this is a moment. If you're Dolly Parton yeah. – Someone meeting you, this is the moment, as you are, you'll be talking about 10, 15, 20 years later. (laughs) And so you'd either go, and I'm sure you could tell the stories, which you can do, but you don't have to, of people who came on those shows and were horrible or were were weird or, you know, who who weren't friendly. Uh, and and that's why someone gets that longevity, I guess, is that if they if they, yeah, they, if they play up to the role. Yeah, that it's also that's part of their job and talking to people and people coming up to you. And I mean, you know yourself that people you can be standing next to like a comic who's done really, really well. And people come up and some people are really good and some people really, really don't like it. You know, and then that becomes a weird problem that you've got this thing, but you don't like this bit of it, you know. Yeah. I always think it's sort of part of, I mean, I don't have enough, so it's fine. I mean, people are always like, oh, I don't want to bother you. I'm like, oh, you recognise me? I'm fucking thrilled. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you some questions that have nothing to do with you. Uh-huh. This is a question I want. I think you're a good person to ask about this. I've been, um, I want to ask a question about my 
my bowls in my house, okay, and see whether you could give me some advice on this. I've got we moved into the house this house three years ago. We bought eight, I'd say, cereal bowls, right, which is too many cereal bowls, but you know they're in rotation. Mm-hmm. Now a couple of them have got chipped, not badly. They're still usable, but they're chipped. And I can't work out whether I should. So I've got eight bowls. Should I put the chipped ones at the bottom at the back? There's two rows of four basically, or should I? What would you do? Would you put would you put the chipped ones at the back and only use them when you had to, or would you put them at the front and use them more? Because then they if they get chipped again, it won't matter. If they get broken, it won't matter as much. What would you do in that oh, bowl situation? I feel if you're making yourself use the chipped bowls, it's like you're punishing yeah. yourself. I, feel, I, I do if I feel was some that. sort of therapist. I go, why do you think you don't deserve a nice bowl, Richard? Yeah. So I would, yeah, I would put the the chipped ones right at the back. Or yeah. also because I like gardening, I would, I, I, if I chip something, great, or a yeah. mug, I take it in the garden, smash it up, and that's my. You know, put it in my uh, with, for my pots as drainage. But it's still usable. See, with pants as well. If I've got if I've got some really nice new pants and I've got pants that are quite old, I'll often wear that. You know, you think, well, I'll wear the old ones because I don't want to wear out the new good ones, and if, and I'll just wear the old ones until they fall apart, and then I will wear the new ones. But then I never end up wearing the new ones because the old ones, you know, they they hang together yeah. for quite a long time. There's something happened no? where you haven't been. I've I'm so past <laughs> that now. I'm so are all you? about spoiling myself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So going, no, throw the old pants away. I used to be like that. It's very freeing yeah. to just do that. You know, how much spare money have you got? Go throwing pants away and bowls, <laughs> smashing bowls up because they're a bit chipped. <laughs> See, like if you use the bowl, if I get, if I drop that bowl, I go, oh, that's fine. I've dropped the bowl that didn't matter. But if I drop one of the remaining six, and there's probably two, one's more chipped than the other, one's slightly chipped, and the six, they're still good. But you know, if I had guests around, I wouldn't give the guests the chip. Are they expensive bowls though? See, I don't. Have no, no, not bowls. at all. No, no, not yeah. really. I mean, they're from John Lewis, but they're not. Yeah, they were the cheap end of John Lewis. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> Use the. You give yourself a nice bowl. Yeah. Okay. But have right, those. That's good I mean, have the other ones just in case. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you go, we've well, no, no, and now only got three of those bowls because Joe Caulfield said to chuck out the chipped ones. Yeah, I'm going to keep them. I'll definitely keep them. Uh, how much in lockdown have you, I've realised I only, in the lockdown, I think I've only put on proper trousers, well, now twice, but the first time I put on like, and when I say proper trousers, I mean jeans. I've been wearing uh, swimming trunks, jogging bottoms, uh, cycling shorts I'm wearing today, uh, anything but like proper trousers. You've been Have you been dressing yourself properly during lockdown or have you been like me and I only put on proper trousers last weekend because we had guests coming out? And I didn't know them quite well enough to be just wearing my grey jogging bottoms. Well, uh, the thing that happened, of course, in Scotland, which was so weird, as soon as it got locked down so people couldn't come to Scotland, the weather turned and we had two months right. of dry, sunny days. Everything okay. amazing. So, yeah, so I was wearing, like, summer clothes. So I was wearing oh. like, summer dresses and, and shorts and enjoying that I could wear summer clothes, which you don't often get to do in Scotland. So in that way, yes, I was dressing. And um, yeah, I still no, I, I I'm not. Really, you've, held, you've held it together. Yeah, not really a great one for because I'm. Yeah, I like my clothes, so I want to. I've them. let it fall apart. I've realised I was, you know, I'm walking down the shops. I was walking to the shops. I was walking to the wreck with my son actually. Mm. And we were going to pass the shop on the way, and I was wearing swimming trunks, uh, a black and white striped thing, and a leather jacket. I mean, I looked insane. Yeah, I just like I've got to the point. <laughs> you look like I just put on three things. <laughs> like it was from a fancy dress box and I'm a 52 year old man walking they must have used that weird man who hasn't cut his hair when I can't cut my oh. hair 
Yeah, but it's like, yeah, you're like your son, you're but on dress yourself day. My husband <laughs> I've worn my favourite clothes and goes, Oh, is it dress yourself day? Because <laughs> I go, No, I just wanted to wear it today for no reason at all. Yeah. <laughs> but I've been sort of deliriously uh, happy in lockdown as well. Yeah. I've enjoyed yeah. it a lot. It's but yeah, I mean the only I mean there's a few downsides. I, I did hear you talking about this on uh, Desert Island Dicks, which mm. you were very good on. Um, but uh, yeah, as a comedian, obviously you're not performing for a little while. That's kind of nice. And I think for you, you were saying that obviously there's a lot of travel involved mm. for you because you're living in Edinburgh and coming and gigging in London and Manchester. I'm guessing quite. A lot. Yeah, so there was a lot, and I, I suppose I hadn't realised how much I'd been travelling. Yeah. And also, I was doing this sort of route because my mum is 89 and lives in Leicestershire. So I was always doing a route where at least month to month, I've got to go via her and up, you know. Um, so it's really, <laughs> it's really great that I can't see her at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's sort of as awful to say yeah. these things, but you know, I, I feel, you know, yeah. I don't, I, well, I've just gotten to the point where I don't, I live in the countryside now and I don't socialise very much I anyway. I'm probably, countryside. I, I live in, oh. I, I just live out, I live out in Hertfordshire now. So it's, um, you know, and I don't really go out very much. I do, I go out to do gigs, which mm. is enough for me. That's enough sort of socialising. My wife goes out a bit and sees her friends. I'm actually socialising more because I'm doing sort of Zoom chats and doing this show on Zoom. Yeah. And uh, it's all right, you know, so that's enough for me. And then, you know, so I think you were saying on that, you could just have, you could get drunk with your friends and then go to bed. Yeah, and I quite exactly. like that. Yeah, and so, no, <laughs> no, and like you say, for you, you don't have to wear trousers to see your friends. Yeah. You enjoy I've got, that. Got my, I've got my, no trousers, yeah. cycling shorts on. No, it's I don't really, even really nice. And also I found, I kind of found out who I like talking to as well, you know. <laughs> And other people, if you if you go, oh, I've got to phone them. You go, well, don't phone them. There's other people, yeah. And I have, but you've been doing. I have managed to work as well. Which is yes, yeah. you've been doing some stuff in in lockdown. So what have you? I, so I just was watching you on Facebook, uh, t- talking to your car insurance or your yes. insurance yes. people as a sketch. I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah, uh, but uh, very good. It's very good. It's hard to tell whether it's real or not. Oh, so that's it's, good. Uh, yeah, I got I got a clue because you, 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 the, your name you use for your husband is not your his real his real name, and I know that. So I thought, okay, definitely, it's definitely, it's definitely not her just filming herself on the phone. But yeah, so you've been doing sketches and obviously doing other podcasts and things. What what? And have you done any gigs? Yeah, done some Zoom gigs. Um, I mean, the first gigs we did um, were those ones. I think where I can't even remember what they were, but it was they, where they would say, oh, it's streaming. But as far as I'm concerned, it's just me talking at my computer and you feel like a crazy person because you don't know anybody's there and it's weird. And then the first Zoom gig I did, I was like, oh, my God, I was so high from it, from just people hearing people laugh. Um, but they're not always as well managed. Like I did one the other night, lovely guy, runs very good gigs, um, out of bounds gigs, and but he was the first one, so they hadn't worked out who to mute and unmute in the audience, and so they had unmuted quite a lot of people, and there was a man with, um, and I thought, what a quite an old fashioned way to eat, I thought. So he's got a, a, obviously quite a ceramic plate and a steel knife and fork, and he's clang 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 clang. So every time he did that, it went yellow to him. It came off the comedian, it went to him. <laughs> eating like that so I had to phone the guy running the gig and go do you know it keeps moving and he's going I know but I don't know I can't stop him I can't find him to and then and there was a dog and then the other thing with this can be I'm settling in zoom gigs 
one thing I like is that you can you can see people sitting in their homes. Obviously, I love yeah. that because I can judge their furnishings, so I enjoy that very much. But also, you can see what they're doing. And the other night, a man got up in my set, got up three times. <laughs> <laughs> I just went out of the room, came back, saw I was still on, went out of the room again. You know, so in that way, again, it's really disconcerting. You know, I can see you. you know, yeah, it could be worse though. That's the that's the thing I worry about. People on the internet watching a comedy show. How do you stop? Well, it hasn't. Nothing the... like that has happened. I don't no. think. Where, you know, because obviously that I thought that. Well, <laughs> my husband said that. Why do people not get their knobs out? And he goes, because it's not everyone's first thought. You know, but <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. And then the other thing, of course, because of technology, like um, straight away there was a couple of radio shows, and they went, "Oh, you just download this thing," and I bought a mic, so then you can do broadcast quality radio shows and quite quickly. And I do wonder what will change in broadcasting. You go, Oh, so you don't need all these people that you're employing. And then I had yeah. one of those, you know, those talking head shows where they go, Oh, do you remember these clips? And you go, no, Oh, you'll send me them. Then I'll remember. Uh, and, um, and so I was booked to do one of them and they said, Oh, we can still do it. We're going to send you a green screen and a camera and go, oh, what? And I do it. So next thing I'm ironing a green screen, putting it up in my living room with the big tripod they'd sent me, which is quite nice because then I kept all the stuff. And then they controlled, they, I put up a phone and they controlled the phone from London. Wow, okay. And did it like, and you go, oh, it's incredible. So yeah. in that way. Well, it is, but you know, I also think like the number of meetings, again, I live like a, you know, an hour's drive out of London and you go, you drive mm. into London for one meeting and then drive yeah. home again, got the train in, come back home again. And you just think, I could just, I don't have to do that don't. anymore. I'm not going to ever go, I'm not going in again. You don't need to. <laughs> we just, and exactly, radio, radio interview with BBC Scotland and you go, you know, I don't have to go to a studio somewhere else. No. It's so it's. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's hopefully, and there's lots of things I think are good. I think, I hope that I was saying this last week though as well, that I hope like clubs will, the clubs that are live streaming, I hope they'll carry on doing that because even when they've got an audience in, because they've got, a, they've got an audience there around the world who can't get out and see stuff or can't get to Edinburgh to the stand or can't, you know, got kids and can't get out at all. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they can, they can get this extra revenue from a thousand people around the world watching their their stand up show, you know, yeah. which is more than the actual people in the room will be. So I think the other I thing think that's nice when I've noticed is Zoom. I mean, so obviously some people are, are self isolating, but but uh, there's quite a lot of single people who are watching right. the comedy and enjoying it like it's a night out, and that is quite a nice yeah. thing because maybe not go to a comedy club on your own, but you can watch on yeah. Zoom and have fun sure. and, and you know feel you're part of a communal evening and also the compa can see you and talk to you. Sometimes they'll get to know that person. And yeah. I think, you know, love might blossom as well. You don't know from other people. I could see that sort of thing happening. Lovely. Yeah, well, it's not, you know, there's some positives and it's kind of, you know, a lot of people I've talked to are feeling guilty for have having, having had quite a nice time. I think, like, there have been ups and downs. And I think it's interesting as a performer, again, I wasn't out doing loads and loads of gigs, but I think you, when you lose that... Uh, the, the drug of performance. Yeah. I think I was, I'm worried that some comedians wouldn't be able to cope without the the adrenaline and whatever else you're getting from performing. Yeah, there was a lot we of found that, that difficult. There? People, a yeah. lot of that people going, "Oh, we got to look after ourselves and that." And but I thought, God, you know what? I'm sleeping really well because I'm not full of adrenaline. Um, so at first, I kind of I think I had a bit of a rest and a sleep and did my garden and kind of calmed down. And then I did want a bit of attention. So luckily then, you know, there was bits and bobs of work and I've learnt, you know, and then I'm back, yeah, and then I started filming little things and, you know, go and 
and Twitter, that feels like work to me. I know it's not work, but I go, oh, I'd put a thing out. And so, and I, I am a bit needy for, you know, I like people to have laughed at something and like it. Like I got very annoyed by um, on, on Facebook and things on Instagram when people, you see how many people have looked at something. But how yeah. people have fucking liked it? What does it cost you to like it, you bastards? Because I can see how many have looked at it. You go, I had something like 182 views and 12 likes. And you go, oh, fuck you, people. <laughs> it just seems rude, at least, you know. Well, it's good to see you back on Twitter. You were banned from Twitter. Can you, can you yes. tell us the story behind this this banning from Twitter? Yes, it was sort of not, strange. you know, because I'm not a great one for reading stuff when people send me things. So I got a warning that I didn't okay. really follow. And then this was last year. And then, right. so then I got suspended. So I just opened another account with a similar name. Right. Um, and then they found it. And, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, a head teacher going, but you, you know, you, just because you're smoking somewhere else doesn't mean you're allowed to smoke. And they said, well, you're, you're, you're banned. And I was like, why am I banned? And they, because you're permanently suspended. So you're banned. Um, but then, so then I was, I realized, oh, I've lost a lot of followers. So I really do want to get them back. How do I do it? My agent hadn't a clue. <laughs> Just a lot of people in their 50s go, oh, we don't fucking know. And uh, and I asked somebody, and they were so young, they didn't use Twitter even. Um, <laughs> so uh, then it was, I thought, and that was just by chance. I thought, well, I'll put it on Facebook. Oh, so, yes, yeah, so, th- so it turned out, so what had happened was, this was a while ago, I was on holiday with some friends in Hamburg, and my mate, he had just got, the new iPhone with the portrait mode. And he took a picture of me drinking wine. And and we were like pissed, but going, that's such a good photo. And it was. It was so in focus. And I look like I'm advertising wine. I'm like, like that. So I put it up on Twitter. Uh, Try wine. It's fucking great. Right. And a woman complained to me and said that I was encouraging uh, people underage to drink alcohol. Um. So I said I wasn't, and she said, <laughs> well, her daughter had seen it. So I said, fuck off, and <laughs> I got suspended. Um, that's incredible. That's nothing, though. I mean, that is – that's insane. Yeah, and then – but then – How many people happened? have tweeted pitched themselves drinking? I know, yeah, it's crazy. But then um, – uh, then I, I, I went through the rigmarole, you know, filled in the form. How do you complain? How do I come back? And, and I thought, this is terrible. I need a person. And that's when I, I per chance, put it out on Facebook. Per chance? Get me. Nice. <laughs> put it out on Facebook to say, oh, if you'd like to get involved, please, you know, tell Twitter that I'm a comedian and whatever I say is meant to be a joke and I'm not uh, offensive. And that was when people like yourself, and other blue tick people got involved. And suddenly I think Twitter went, oh, apparently she's got blue tick friends. Um, so they looked at those. And it was, God bless her, Emma Kennedy, who really went for it. And um, she knew somebody. And then they got in touch. And they were great. And they apologized and said, oh, we, we didn't. You know, the, the algorithms don't know you're a comedian. And they couldn't have then couldn't have been nicer about it. Right. Yeah. It does see, you know, the things and the the length of time, the people who have been banned from Twitter, the things that they're saying 
and the length of time they've been going on saying the things that finally get them banned. It sort of seemed just extraordinary that they would, and you know, and the amount of people on Twitter who were yeah. just saying, have a drink, it's great. Or, you know, yes. like uh, Danny it, Baker does every night, raising a glass yeah. or something every but the night. Thing, the thing that the guy he didn't tell someone to fuck off. Like we didn't, he said, but also we didn't really, we're not actually looking, it's not a person looking at it. It's just lagging up, you know, fuck off and drink and brother. No. So they've just got, oh, she's got a drink problem. Get her off. <laughs> <laughs> Get drunk and Larry, you know. <laughs> yeah, so that 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 is that is nice. And also, also, I like to do it because also you get a diff- lots of different types of people you can learn about. You know, I found out new music. I've, you know, you find out all sorts of stuff on Twitter as well. Yeah, it's good. So that is good. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, well, it's mainly good. It's you know, there's a lot of horrible wankers on there as well. But it's oh. on the whole, it's oh, yeah, uh, people. Do, it's a positive experience. You, but. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've had some experiences yes. on there, um, yeah. <laughs> and it's you know that's the sort of weird thing as a comedian. But I think I don't think it's that bad. I think like now when I go on Twitter, I'll think about whether it's worth tweeting the thing I'm going to tweet. You know, and I don't think that's a disastrous thing to yeah. do. You know, in the, in the in the first when it started, I would tweet whatever the whatever came into my head, and sometimes it was funny and sometimes it was offensive, and no one cared back in the early days. But I think if you're made to think. Is it worth the ten people who are going to misunderstand this joke in That's order for the the, the ten thousand people who are going to like it, or you know? So it's not. I think it's good as a comedian to be to consider that, which I think most comedians do. I mean, and obviously when we're preparing a stand-up show, you that happens because you go and do your stuff in front of an audience, and if the audience start booing or walking out or not laughing, then you you will drop that bit of material after a few a few attempts. Um, so it's not a bad thing to sort of have a little think about what you're No, I think you do have sometimes. And, and also, or you can get, uh, uh, there's a lot of very, what's the word? Um, you can get on the wrong side of a very, what is that word? And when somebody, uh, argument without arguing a case, and even the word I'm going to use will offend these people. <laughs> uh, and it is that, you know, where everything's offensive. And yeah. you just go, oh, you you have just taken yourselves far too fucking seriously. I cannot deal with this nonsense. So I want to say, but I go, no, because these people are really into that argument and uh, yeah, yeah. you can't. Well, it's bad for free speech in that sense. That I think some some issues, both sides of the argument will, will, will jump on everything. And, you know, it happened with political things and it happens with... Uh, you know, social politics as well, yeah. uh, and and it and it means if you're not discuss if you're not even able to discuss it and ask the questions and say is this definitely right, is this definitely, right? or I'm confused, then then no one's going to learn anything and no one's going to get anywhere with it. So it's a, it's a very when those subjects come up that people don't want to touch because they think it's not worth the hassle, then it's it, it's bad for the for the subjects. I think, but anyway, yeah. never mind. Let's not let's not get no, ourselves no, down that rabbit no. hole again. Um, I keep on doing it, and I'm not going to go back again. Uh, I came up and did. I think I got cut out of the show in the end, but I came up and did your uh, storytelling. You do a regular, or are you still doing that storytelling uh, we, show? No, we did do it. We did it for a while, and then yeah. we ran out of people to tell stories. <laughs> and then you, yeah. I came up. I came up to Scotland. Then the producer ran and said, "We're not using your bit. Thanks for coming. <sighs> Goodbye." <sighs> <laughs> I don't think I was particularly good, but I don't think it was because I was I wasn't particularly good. I think you yeah, genuinely had some reason I wasn't in the show, but it was fun though. I enjoyed yeah. it. It was a great. Uh, it was a nice idea. We only got one yeah. series. 
Were you doing it as a? Uh, you were doing it anyway we're doing with, it before anyway it was a show. As a live yeah. show which I thought it was a really nice idea. It was a really nice idea, and people really liked it because they were like, "Oh, we've been looking for something that's a bit more than comedy, um, yeah. but also might be funny, but doesn't have to be." So you know, a couple of things were a bit harrowing, and and some things were just crazy. Like the woman who who was had been training for the Olympics to do that ribboned uh, gymnastics, yeah. um, and so she came and told the story. You know, it was a bit kind of, who's that one? Is it Tanya Harding, the skater, who got, you know, yeah. she'd had a big rival in the okay. gymnastics. But she did all the gymnastics, and I've, I find that so funny just to watch that ribbon thing and the way they take it seriously. Um, but she knew it was quite a funny thing as well. So she did that, and uh, and people could do it songs or they could do it in a um, little play. Uh, some guy did it as uh, he was a proper performance artist, you know, so it was very, ooh, and all of that. So people who, who won a bit of art, but not too arty, they loved it, you know, because everything was short as well. So it wasn't like you're going, oh, God, we write some art, but this is so arty. Um, it was like short bits and uh, and it, it was fun, yeah. yeah. But then we did just, it became hard. We thought we're putting on this show isn't good enough now we need to find some more people to do it yeah you know? and i had run out of stories nothing was happening to me you know <laughs> yeah well that's the problem that's the problem with stories they, yeah. they, they, you, they well you know you you can definitely come up with new stories as you do every year but um richard who's the producer he uh, he, he got me up for another show in scotland oh, did he cut you out? uh and he cut me out of that as well and I had to pay to be in that show. That was the over fifties, the over fifties comedian show. Yes. And then they they were trying they were trying to pitch it. Yeah. It was John Maloney and various other. But it was a great fun night. Yeah, it was really, really good. Fun. I had to I had to pay to be yeah. in, on the show. Yeah. And then they put it out. But then it was for Scottish TV, and they wanted Scottish comedians. So yeah. They only put the Scottish well, you had to comedians. Talk about because I talked about Scotland. So I, I did talk about yeah. Scotland. Yeah, okay. uh, but well, and you're you live in. So I think you count as a Scottish yes. comedian, even though you're not. Scottish, yeah, you're Scottish. yeah. So, oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so, I so want to get you to come up and do something and cut you out. Yeah, now <laughs> it's a long way to come to you know. But you always have a nice. He's cost car, me. <laughs> he's cost me money. I got paid for your thing. <laughs> didn't get paid for the other thing. It was very, and I had to go with that one. I was doing something in Norwich and then Glasgow and then somewhere. And it was a real fucking pain in the ass yeah. to come up for the for the second one. Your one was yeah. delightful. It was a, it was a, we had a little drink afterwards. It was lots of fun. Yeah. Um, let me ask you some more, more emergency questions. I will ask you this one from my top of my head, mm. uh, which uh, is if uh, all the art galleries and museums in the world got together and said we're going to give Joe one thing of her choice from all of our museums and art galleries, she can take it home and possess it, and it's hers. What thing would you like to have from all the world's uh, museums and art galleries that would be yours? I know what I would want, but I also know something I saw recently randomly. I would like a um, Bridget Riley painting. Um, But the thing I went to see, because I'd gone to see her exhibition and then I'd gone just by chance because I really like South Bank. So if I'm gigging in London for the weekend, I suddenly went, oh, let's just go and see something randomly. Um, at the Tate Modern, and it was a guy, I think he's called Neem June Pack, and I really liked him. Apparently, you know when you just go, I'm just going to see what it is. Oh, it's crazy. I love it. And he thought up the phrase information superhighway. So he was in the 60s and 70s and thought that CCTV and all of this filming everybody, a bit like Warhol, would bring the world closer together and that it was a wonderful thing. 
and he and he did that thing of having high art and low art and just everyday stuff and he had television gardens and that's what I would like oh, yeah. and it was like all plants and then TV showing all different kind of ads or somebody playing classical music and he had a friend and she always played classic played the cello topless or just completely nude and then she got a glass yeah. cello so she could play but her boobs were in the you know in the cello but the glass you know and it was all just that lovely where you you know when you go I don't know if this is art. You could just be mad, mad as a hatter or just, you know, where you go, really, you can fool anybody, but just throwing yeah. shit together. But of I course. thoroughly loved it. And I like, also yeah. like that confusion of, I don't know if this is art or not. It seems like <laughs> I could have done this, you know. But And, and he, met, he had pianos that he took all the, 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 what you, the hammers that make the noise and he thought that was hilarious and filmed people playing it without it making noise, but it means something. It doesn't mean anything. It's just really funny. <laughs> well, I like that. Yeah. I, like, I was talking to Grayson Perry about that with the, with the, you know, when comedy, when art's funny, so much of art isn't funny. And like, and, and, and art should be this kind of collision of ideas yeah. in the same way that a joke is a kind of collision of ideas. And sometimes it's, you know, that you put the two things together and it makes sense. And sometimes you put two things together and they don't make sense. And, that, and both in art and comedy, those, both those things can work. So I think, you know, I, I do, I think it's, it takes, art can take itself way too seriously. Yes. And I think it's great when, when you see something that just is that. Yeah. And it was kind mad of collision. and crazy. Yeah, also, yeah. I think sort of sometimes with certain stand-ups and it doesn't, they can be an angry or, but they're feeling that they should give the people. I don't think, I don't think sometimes stand-up gets credit for that, that, to give that people that feeling of freedom and fuck offness, you know, just for laughing at an outrageous joke or somebody being angry about life or thing makes people feel good, you know. That's uh, and that's what art does. So in that way, we should get some of this fucking money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely. Well, we'll see if we so we'll see if anything filters through. Um, oh, there was something that uh, back to Twitter again. Did you take over Neville Southall's I did. Twitter account? <laughs> What was what was what was going? How did that happen? And what was going on with that? I can't even remember what he said. I mean, I do like football, so I follow okay. some footballers and uh, and also people who are more football journalists. Like I listen to quite a lot of podcasts about football, um, and I'm, I'm constantly trying to understand tactics, um, but not really. Uh, and um, so he had said, but he's quite political, Neville Southall, and quite sound. And he'd said something about the government early on in lockdown you know, to equivalent to what a bunch of cunts sort of thing. So I just said, oh, you know, love Level Southall. He's won Twitter today. And so he got in touch and went, that's really great you said that. I understand that as a comedian, all your work will have stopped. Um, would you like to take over my account? And I realise he does that sometimes, usually for charity, but obviously I okay. saw me as a charity in myself. Yeah, <laughs> and said you can take it over. And and I did kind of go, oh, I'd like that because he's got loads of followers and that could be fun. And But then I was like, oh, and then I have to think of things to talk to people about for two and a half hours. To, but then so it was that I made little videos and think, what things do I like about football? What do I want to know about, you know, things that I think are weird. Like I don't understand why they run around and take the shirts off. You know, just what other, what other point in life does a ad, male adult feel feel that need it just doesn't happen you know we've done a great deal oh let's get our shirts off no. so it's just sort of stuff like that but it was funny because a man phone, uh, 
got in touch with me on Twitter from uh, Radio Derby, BBC Radio Derby. And he said, I just really wanted to know if this was real. Do you know who Neville <laughs> Southall is? He said, because we were having a bet in the office going, but if she didn't, it's a really good random guess. Because who would think of Neville Southall? <laughs> it's so bizarre. But then again, they see that's where social media becomes an amazing yeah. thing. You know, I would never have put the two of you together. <laughs> As a as a force, I would never thought you would really be aware of who Never Southall is, but that's not. You know, also, strange it was my, because yeah. of Everton, because um, he sort of played for Everton until he was ninety or something, and he played for Wales, and I do I would support Wales. Um, but when I was a kid, uh, my my mum and dad had just come over from Northern Ireland, and uh, Z Cars was on telly, and the theme to Z Cars is what Everton come out to. So uh, so in all my life, my mum and dad were really excited when they came to England and James Ellis was the, uh, from Belfast, like my dad is, was the star of this show in England. So it was like, well, we're doing, we could do really well here, you know. And uh, and I just remember it as a kid, always my mum loved Zedcast and you'd hear that noise. And then I was with somebody, a mate, um, who's an Everton fan and I didn't realise and his phone, his phone, this was years ago, and his ringtone was the Zedcars theme, because he's an Everton yes. fan. And it went off and I went, yeah. oh, are you like a really big Zedcars fan? <laughs> so since then, I've always kind of had a soft spot for Everton, because I didn't know that, that was their okay. song. Yeah. Right. Oh, what, a, what a lovely, lovely thing. But very, uh, so, you know, weird and random and that's not yeah, yeah, no, it's well, social media, isn't it? So, nice so lo- lockdown's a good thing, social media's a good thing, but the world's becoming a better place if we just ignore... Everything that's everything happening else elsewhere. And everything that, <laughs> the collapse that is about to come. Yeah. Yeah. We ignore that. We're having a we're having a great, yeah. great, great. We're having a great last um, couple of months on air. Yeah. <laughs> and do you still do your? I you still do your things. I learned as a comedian. And was that something you you got other people to? Uh, yeah. Do on your website as well. Yeah. I sort of I, I sort of asked everybody, and everybody. You know, some I think the stuff was very useful to people and some was funny yeah. stuff and I quite liked it. Um, but I just took it off because um, <laughs> um, a couple of times, like, um, uh, really bad comedians came up and said, oh, I read your thing and I thought, oh, I'll do comedy. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm using this for good. <laughs> so I've taken it down for a little bit. <laughs> But it's quite—it's <laughs> a shame. It was a good. There was some good advice yeah, in there. Yeah, I mean, there was some. Things. There was. It was some. It was funny, and it was you know, it was interesting to see. But there was because it is that thing when people are trying to start up. I guess that it's. I think again, maybe talking to Stuart Goldsmith about this, but it was you know, it's you get you're getting a lot of emails from people saying what to do. So it's nice to have a thing you can direct them to. Well, no, in that way, that was the thing. People yeah. do ask you. And so it's yeah. oh, you can look on my website and or this. But also, you know, when people ask you, I mean, the only thing to say as people is you have to gig and you have to listen to the reaction as well. Um, but they don't yeah. want you to say that. <laughs> they really don't. They want you to go, my God, you're amazing. You'll be famous tomorrow, you know. Yeah, I, I mean it is that simple. It's, uh, that's all. My my own bit of advice when people email me is that literally that just do as much yeah the, 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 the job as you can until you until you're good at it or until you're not good at it. You know, yeah, you're not good at it, or you realise it's not for you. Like if you're if yeah. you're kind of going, well, I've done five gigs. Why am I? You know, you go. Well, it's not for you. You have to. I always think you have to kind of love it as well. Yeah, yeah. and is it is that what you is is it the because you seem very much a stand-up, right? I, you know, I know you've done telly and you've done, you've done, you know, you've you've 
been on all those shows of the Have I Got News for You and Mock the Week and all that sort of stuff. So you do do the telly job as well, but it seems like you're very committed to being a stand-up comedian and being in charge. I mean, is it the autonomy of being a stand-up that you that yeah, drives you? Yeah, I think I like the autonomy and I really like it. And also I'd spent I'd, a couple of times I'd gone down that road of like people, oh, I've, I mean, I've done, you know, radio series and things, which is a lot of writing. And also you're very, you were very, I mean, now there's podcasts and things are different, but then we were very restricted about what you could say and attitude and, um a couple of times, to be honest, I'd gone down that route where people are interested and they go, oh, sitcom. So you spend about two years writing a sitcom and everyone's really excited and blah, blah. And then they tell you things you can't do, like you can't have someone talking into camera, Joe. That's really old fashioned. You can't do that. Oh, but Miranda did it after I suggested it. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, you got that terrible advice, but it was more. And then, and then, of course, the guy um, got moved within the BBC and we were a co-production with Positive. And, uh, and he said, well, it'll be somebody else now. And I went, oh, who is it? And it was a bloke. And I thought, he'll, he'll hate me. I've known one, it's not his project. He doesn't care. Two, I know who he likes. He likes like university boys comedy. He's not going to like me at all. We're dead. And it was, it was dead in the water. And because I'd had it a couple of times, I just thought, fuck that, wasting my time. And I'd let stand-up slip a bit. So I thought, right, I'm just going to concentrate on stand-up. And then I, you know, when you concentrate on something, you get better at it and you enjoy it more. So I thought, I'm just not. And also you get to, and I think everybody has to go through it. Like now, like if someone says, I'd really like to hear your ideas. I thought, well, I'd really not like to tell you. You know, (laughs) like you're saying about meeting, I couldn't give a shit. But when you're first in, you of course, you have to go through that stage where you're excited somebody wants to hear your ideas so they could maybe ignore them or steal them to use later. Yeah. So you give up that time and everybody has to go through that. And I'm not saying to people, don't do it. Do do it because it can work out. But I just thought, oh, fuck it. No, people have to be clamoring to go, no. It's, and it, that happens with some people. They go, we don't care what the idea is. We just will do anything with that person. And that's when you can go to a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise I'm like no I'd rather get on and tinker with my things and make little feel you know and now I think now because I've found out what you can do on a phone um, yeah. you know just do things and, and I yeah and and I'm still got you know stuff that I'm excited with if I get new material and say and yeah and it's because I know a lot of your stuff's um you know a lot of your stuff's personal and, and about stuff that's happening to you and observational, really, isn't it? Is it? Is it? Are you finding that the, the lockdown is providing you material or not? As a result, is it suddenly like, oh no, there is nothing now that nothing's happening, or is in a way, does it yeah, provide I think you more? It sort material? of provides, uh, you know, the sort of initial of you know the humor in in sort of in liking this, and yeah. then the humor or you know, and like a lot of people are finding that you you suddenly accidentally become an alcoholic. You know, because I don't know what happened when I do stuff about that. Like suddenly I thought I was like French. And when it came to half past six, I had to start drinking wine every night. You know? <laughs> and uh, and also the interaction with your neighbours oh, and Zoom quizzes with the family, yeah. which are a nightmare. So uh, quite, quite a lot came out of stuff that my family want to do on Zoom because they're you know, they're nothing to do with comedy. So they do the things that everyone's doing, which I find interesting because I always hate it. So they were doing a quiz and then we did a murder mystery. I was like, this is the worst fucking hour of my life. 
like because they're reading a script that is shit. And also, do you know what really annoyed me is they gave me like a part with like two lines. I'm like, I'm the one who can fucking act here. <laughs> you know, I'm the entertainer, but my nephew's got all the fucking lines. You know? <laughs> so, I, so I found all that sort of, I find it interesting and funny that I go, what is wrong with me that I can't enjoy things that people, other people enjoy? Yeah. But I just think this is the worst entertainment in the world. It's so badly <laughs> written. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad that it's not to dampened your. Uh, I mean, you're, it's hard to describe exactly how what your persona. It's sort of a no nonsense. That you're It's that sort of sarcasm, no nonsense. But it's great to. Have, it's just. I think it's celebratory. You know, it's, it is celebratory, <laughs> but it's also like you. You'll say you say those things about about that people don't say about those social interactions, which I think is interesting because a lot of people would do a political act that's like that, maybe. But to actually. You know, to a lot of people would be scared to say that about their own families. And I like, do you think that after the lockdown, when we're back at clubs, do you think audiences will want to hear that? Will they want to forget about lockdown or will they want to hear material about lockdown? Do you think, do you think there'll be, that's, that's what I'm sort of interested in. I think we'll get back and A, will we all be match fit? And B, what would the audience want to hear? And if we talk about lockdown, will it be, oh, we've been, we've fucking done lockdown. We don't want to talk about something else. Do you have I any idea? I think be, what the, the problem's going to be, isn't it, is it's not going to be quite like Brexit in that Brexit was really divisive. So audience just went, well, we don't feel the same way as you do, so don't talk about it. But it became, also became, oh, we're so tired of people doing material. So I think it might just be that we're so tired of people doing uh, lockdown material. You know, and you might go on a bill and if you're on last, you go, has everybody done lockdown material then, you know, and unless you're really sure yours is totally different, then, it's, well, there's always that thing when everyone's talking about one thing. It's like, like I would do, you know, like when suddenly people are doing Trump jokes and it's just like, there's nothing to say. Yeah. So it's not funny yeah. or it's just boring now to do jokes about him. Uh, oh, what an idiot! You go. Oh, it's so much more serious than that. So, yeah, I think it's. I think there's going to be an eggy moment of people going, "Oh, it's funny. Yeah, we did that in lockdown too. Oh, God, they're still <laughs> talking about lockdown. These comics. <laughs> Jesus, get on with your lives, will you?" And that's why, one way, I think it's really great. There's not an Edinburgh this year because that would have just been yeah. a nightmare of COVID nineteen jokes. So yeah, nobody is allowed to do them next year. It's terrible. I don't. I think if anyone does them next year, it would look. Someone will. There'll definitely be uh, lockdown-based shows next yeah. year. But if there is a fringe next year, if we're back next yeah. year, we will see. We will see. Um, yeah. We'll see if it's happening. So, if people want to see you, Twitter's a great place to see you. Uh, is that are you, are you? Are you posting all your videos on yeah. Twitter yeah. as well? Because I see yeah. them on Facebook. You're yeah, on Facebook uh, yeah, as well. and Instagram. Um, um, yeah. Uh, Instagram TV. I don't understand Twitch. I mean, I actually looked that up the other day. Don't... This is Twitch. Well, Twitch. I think you're like if you've got a green screen as well. I think it's very, it's very exciting. You've got a nice camera, and so you can literally do anything you want live. This is what we're doing now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you look at a few, a few, quite a few comics are getting onto it. Uh, Bill Zaffer's on, who's coming on this in a couple of weeks. Actually, uh, he's doing really well and doing sort of. Uh, characters within video games and stuff that's, that's made quite a splash. So I think I think there's quite a lot of potential for Twitch, uh, and you can get money, you can get people can pay you or you can get money. You can get Amazon Prime. People can give you free money every month. So you know oh, they yeah, have to they don't yeah. have to give you they don't have to even have to pay you. So I think you might find that if you if you're coming up with sketches and coming up with little ideas and and want to chat and feel comfortable chatting down the lens to 
these idiots here, ah, then, um, then, then, yeah. <laughs> then, you know, I think, I think you might, I think you might like it. It is, there are other, uh, yeah, available yeah. that do the same thing as well. But. No, I've not thought about monetizing anything at all. Um, and I, and, and I don't think I will. Um, but I, I do, I have got a bit like, you know, every day the postman comes and I'm like, Oh, what is it? You know, I've no, I, so that's gone a bit crazy. Um, but then I send stuff back as well. It's just a thrill, isn't it? And it's a visitor. <laughs> well, look, Joe, it's always lovely to see you and thank you very much for sparing the time to come and talk to us and uh, I'm sure people will track you down and find you online in I a hope. good way I mean in, in a nice way <laughs> <laughs> so if they do if it goes in a bad way I'm going to look really awful for saying that, especially if it happens before this goes out um, so uh, thank you very much ladies and yeah. gentlemen the amazing Joe Caulfield uh, we're back next week I think Bethany Hughes the historian's on next week that's exciting isn't it we'll see you then goodbye You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Joe Caulfield. Thank you to Pest to provide the music for this audio version. Aren't they lovely? I am also indebted very much to Chris Evans, not that one, for all the fantastic work he's put into making this Twitch stream work through this difficult period. And much more than that. I, he saved me. He's, without him, I'd be nothing. And I mean that. So thank you to Chris Evans. I'm indebted to you. Thank you also to everyone at Acast, everyone at the British Comedy Guide, everyone at Twitch, uh, my mum and dad, and Donkey, and Ali Sloper, who has also rescued my career. Our executive, this producer, our executive producer this week is Jason Ruse. We called him Jason Rude, because he was very rude on set about how bad the show was. Um, and it's not really what we're looking for in an executive producer. But thank you very much, Jason Rude. Jason Rude. For your fine contributions. I'm only joking. You know I'm joking, Jason. Uh, this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFastTheStripe.com production. Quickly head to rahalasma.co.uk slash Kickstarter and help us make our target. Just put a couple of quid in, please. I am begging you. Uh, and if the Kickstarter's over, we might be doing another one. We're doing a snooker one coming up soon. And, you know, doesn't really None of it really matters. Just enjoy the stuff. I love you all, guys. Take care. See you on the other side. 